This is Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks, and welcome to my podcast series, The Voice of Leadership. Recently, I wrote a guest blog that was called Am I My Brother's Keeper? And when I wrote that blog, I was really thinking about all of the racial unrest that's going on in the United States. And particularly, it was a post-George Floyd kind of response. What I want to cover today is a version of that blog in a sense that's really geared for the business leader so that there are actually some recommendations that I'd like to share with you because many businesses are asking themselves the question right now, what can we do to really promote diversity, equity, and inclusion in our workplaces? And they don't know where to start or where to begin. And I'll just set the context for the conversation back in the first recorded murder in the Bible. And this was the murder of Abel, who was the younger brother of Cain. And when Cain murdered his brother for no reason, there was no good reason for it at all, God came and asked him, where was his brother? His classic answer was, am I my brother's keeper. And what God told Cain at the time was that Abel's blood was crying out from the ground. And so God heard the blood of Abel crying out. And so when we think about the business environment, there are even some murders that are taking place in the halls of the corporate office. I know that sounds very dramatic. However, I want us to think about it because there is a sense in which we are called to be our brother's keeper. So in the corporate workplace, sometimes there are policies that exist that can cause unintended consequences or negative differential impacts. And I say this in this way on purpose, because many times, even in organizations where there appears to be a bias or a negative differential impact, it's not necessarily because people are racist or because they don't care. It's because there are some processes and some systems and practices in place that people don't recognize or realize may be having a negative impact. So let me give you some examples of what I'm talking about. For example, a lot of workplaces are in the habit of hiring people in their own likeness and hiring people from their existing networks. So very often you're going to get more of the same kind of person. And on the one hand, there's advantage to that because you will be hiring people who you know are successful 
and who can work in your environment, the unintended consequence is that you might miss hiring some people who also would be wonderful and great fits, but they're not in your network. You don't know those people. Those people are not like you. So they're kind of out of your normal sphere of operation. Now, it's normal to hire in our likeness. It's normal to hire from our networks. And there can be some shortcuts related to that that are beneficial to the organization. However, there's also that unintended impact where you may be missing some good people who you otherwise might not see. Another thing that can happen in the workplace is that there are people, maybe people of color, perhaps women, who are ready for promotion. However, the organization is being overly cautious and wondering if that person is really ready for the promotion. And usually, perhaps the subtext is, is the organization ready for the promotion? We've never had a woman in this position before. How will that be perceived? How will that be received? Maybe the person won't be successful. And so oftentimes, organizations wait an inordinately long period of time before promoting someone who is prepared and ready for promotion because they fear what will be the reaction and the response in the organization. Therefore, by the time they finally get around to promoting that woman, promoting that person of color, that person is actually way beyond the job that they're getting promoted into. They have learned everything that they need to learn about that job, and really, they probably should be promoted beyond that job. The ideal time for promotion is when you know a good bit about the new job you're going into and when there's still a lot of opportunity to grow and learn in that job. Not once you know everything and then you get promoted because then it's time to be doing something else. So that's another way, withholding those promotions. And I'll tell you, I have a friend who's probably now in his upper 80s and way back in the day when he was an Air Force officer and he became a full bird colonel, which was really a big deal back in the time when he was in the Air Force as an African-American man. And it came time for him to become a base commander. And he was sent to a southern city to become base commander. And at that time, southern cities were not really hospitable to having someone who was African-American be in such a key leadership role. In that small town, the base commander had a lot of influence and a lot of power. The Air Force could have chosen to say, well, we can't put him there because in this southern town, they're not going to accept him. Instead, the Air Force said he will be the base commander. They put a lot of measures and procedures in place to support this colonel in his role. And it included even providing security, which was necessary for his safety and for his health. And the Air Force made it clear that they were going to achieve their mission and put the right man in the job, even if the community felt like they weren't ready, the Air Force was going to help them to get ready. So that's an example of alternatives, what you can do besides withhold the promotion. A third item 
is that sometimes people get promoted too soon and they get promoted too soon because perhaps those who are persons of color, perhaps women along the way, they haven't really been groomed and prepared for higher level leadership because of some inequities and the way things have been done in the past. So therefore you find that there's a gap. It's time to promote people. You want diversity. However, these people really haven't had a chance to be prepared for these higher level roles. So when they get promoted too soon, it can reinforce some stereotypes. Oh, I knew that a woman wouldn't do well in that job. I knew that a, an African-American person wouldn't do well in that job. And really, it's not the person or their point of diversity. It's that they did not have the same benefit of preparation as, let's say, their white male colleagues may have had. So often in a situation like this, and when I was in the Army as an active duty Army officer, I saw some examples of this type of a promotion. And what you have to do to make that type of promotion successful is, again, you have to provide an accelerated amount of support to that leader who's being promoted. Whether you provide an executive coach, you provide mentors, you provide training, whatever is necessary so that that person is able to step up into the role. And normally you are selecting people who are quick learners anyway. What you don't want to do is sabotage the person by putting them in that role and then not providing what they need in order to succeed. And then the other thing that happens in organizations is what I'll call the revolving door. And this is the revolving door, particularly for people of color in the organization, because although the company is able to attract them, they're not able to retain them. And very often that's because there's a non-supportive culture. Yes, we want you here and we want you to conform to the culture that already exists. There's not room for that person to also influence the culture and for the culture to grow and to learn and to change as a result of having those additional points of diversity as part of the environment. So those are some things that can happen that would be like what I would call the murderous kinds of acts that occur in the halls of the corporate office. So what's the antidote? What can organizations do? Number one, you have to tell the truth about the past and the present in your organization. That means that you don't assume, oh, we're fine. We don't have any issues. Instead, you conduct research. You do audits to uncover where their unintended and differential impacts on the practices that you have in place. As a psychologist, for example, I use a lot of assessment tools and particularly some assessment tools for selection of executives. In order for a tool to be accepted as a selection tool, one of the qualities is that tool has to be shown not to be biased against people of color, against women, or against other different groups. So in your organization, you also have to do this audit and research to make sure that what you're doing is not inadvertently, because of your hiring practice, causing a differential impact that you don't know about. And sometimes you have no idea until you conduct the audit and you realize that 
whatever procedures in place, it's been impossible for persons of color to advance, to be promoted, for women to be promoted, then you want to take a look at those systems. Maybe there's a problem and something needs to be changed or something needs to be addressed. And frequently, it's not that organizations, again, have a racist attitude. That's not typically the case. Sometimes it is, but often it isn't. It's just that you've put tools in place that you're familiar with and that you're comfortable with, and you don't know that they have this differential impact. So this takes deep reflection, deep analysis, and a willingness to say, here's where we've fallen down the stairs. Here's where we haven't gotten it right. And we're going to step up our game and do something different going forward into the future. Number two is it's important for different people in the workplace to get to know one another, to take the time to share your life stories, to find the commonalities and also the differences, and to be able to develop a deeper sense of empathy for other people who may be different from you. And yet there may be points where you connect because of the commonality of the human condition. And as you're connecting on these life stories and developing a deeper appreciation and understanding how someone may have grown up in a way, for example, maybe it's a white male person in the workplace who grew up very, very poor. And although white privilege is a reality and is a factor, that person may not have felt or experienced in any great way the benefit of that white privilege. And it's important to hear that and to hear what their experience was like and what it was like to grow up impoverished and to somehow have to walk in that journey. It's also about developing friendships and a real appreciation for others in the workplace who may be different from you or who have a different history or background from you. So you want to be figuring out what can I learn from someone else? How can I broaden my horizons? How can I have some difficult and some different maybe conversations about other people's lives? So it's about sharing different perspectives and leaving food for thought about those perspectives, including, for example, even when election time comes up and you might wonder how in the world could so-and-so vote for this particular person? Take the time to find out why. Everyone has a different lived experience and it informs the choices that they make and the ones they choose not to accept. So we want to always be in this learning mode to understand. And I think it's important as we're establishing and developing these deeper friendships is to assume goodwill. It's kind of like in the United States where we say you're innocent until proven guilty. So assume goodwill until the preponderance of evidence suggests that that may not be true. Most of the time, it is reasonable to assume goodwill. And I think it's useful to make a point to get to know people who are different from yourself. Then number three, co-create the future together. 
it's really a problem when only one group in an organization, maybe it's a dominant group, creates that future for everyone else. Because that's how you get some automatic and some systemic biases entered in, not on purpose, but because people implement what they know and they fail to see what they don't know. Instead, what you want to do is to consider multiple stakeholders and multiple groups and to hear from them and to recognize that different people and different groups may have different needs, which is why you have to co-create the future together. So for example, when I was stationed as an officer at the U.S. Military Academy at West Point, at the time that I was there, about maybe a fourth of the population of cadets were women cadets. However, there was not a recognition that women cadets might have some different needs from male cadets. So they were issued the exact same paraphernalia that male cadets were issued, including athletic supporters. And yet the very items that women needed to take care of themselves in the field when out on maneuvers no one thought about how to train them for that or to prepare them or to provide the resources and materials. So my office, which was the Cadet Counseling Center, we got very busy creating that for the women cadets because they needed something different that did not apply to the male cadets at the time. So when you co-create the future together and you consider these constituency groups, you're going to come up with a much better win-win solution and opportunity. So what I would say is, yes, we are our brother's keeper in the sense that it's important to move forward together. It's important to appreciate one another, get to know one another, and create the best future possible collectively because we need the skills, the abilities, the insights, and the different perspectives for the complexities of today's world. When given the opportunity, choose to keep your brother alive and to enjoy another day together. As an executive business leader, you have many difficult decisions to make every single day. And it's important to think about how do you develop your people? How do you launch and develop high-performance teams? And how do you create a culture that wins every time? If you would like to take a look at your organization and to talk about the wisdom and guidance that would propel you to create a best place to work and also competitive advantage, then I invite you to apply for a consultation to work with me. Go to my website, www.transleadership.com, go to the services page, and under organizational consultation, you will see a tab that says, contact us. That's where you request a consultation. So if you are an executive business leader in a medium to large size company, then I look forward to receiving your application and having a conversation with you.
You've been listening to The Voice of Leadership with me, Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks. And I want to give a special thanks to jazz saxophonist Ron McMillan for granting us permission to use his gifted music on our show. Thanks for listening. And remember to go to my website, transleadership.com, for more strategies, insights, and leadership resources.